Tonight, though, we're going to talk about food, all right? Everybody likes food, right? The title of my lesson is Don't Miss a Meal. Bill, do you have a problem with that? Don't miss a meal. You're okay with that, right? In fact, actually, the title would probably be better, Don't Miss the Opportunity of a Meal, okay? So over the Christmas season, I would venture to say that probably everybody in this room um, and most people will enjoy at least one meal with someone, friends and family celebrating the holiday, the Christmas season. Am I correct? Basically, everybody will have at least one meal. Lots of eating going on during Christmas and the holiday season. I was trying to find some, some numbers that would talk about how much actually is eaten during this time. And I couldn't find a whole lot, believe it or not, about Christmas. I found a lot about Thanksgiving, but I did find that 28 billion pounds worldwide of food is wasted, wasted, thrown away over Christmas. Isn't that incredible? 28 billion pounds. I also found that in the U.S., 22 million pounds of turkey will be consumed on Christmas. 22 million pounds and about three times or maybe even four times that in hams. So a lot of food. And in fact, one Christmas meal, I, I saw people would t talk about that it would be more than 6,000 calories. So I can now understand why I gain weight during the holidays. I have a bunch of those 6,000 calorie meals. And a lot takes place at a, at a meal, doesn't it? At a supper table or gathered around with friends and families sharing a meal together. A lot, a lot happens, doesn't it, at one of these occasions? I mean, a lot of conversation, certainly a lot of eating going on, you know, over the holiday season. You know, sometimes, depending on your family, maybe even some arguing, some, some competition maybe taking place, some fighting, uh, some tears maybe sometimes, probably hopefully some laughter as well, right? And, you know, you can also learn a lot about people, can't you, at a meal, at a dinner table, over the holidays when you're sharing food with friends and family, you can learn a lot, right? You can learn maybe the, the ones that are nice, you know, maybe the ones that aren't so nice, you know, the ones that are positive all the time and those that are negative a lot of the times, maybe the ones that are difficult, you can see those, and then you've always got those, I can't believe he or she said that, those ones, right? Always the one that's going to say something you would never expect. But as easy or as difficult as holiday meals are, and I'm sure there would be lots of opinions across this room about, you know, good times and bad times that you can remember in sharing a meal. I think we would all at least admit this, that it is an amazing ministry opportunity. You know, it's a great opportunity, a great chance for us to be the hands and the feet of Christ. Uh, when you're sharing a meal with friends and family, undoubtedly around that table, there will be some Christians. I hope you would be included in that. Uh, there will be some that aren't Christians, right? There will be some Christians that maybe don't act like Christians. There will be some of those for sure, right? There will be some people that are just clueless, that just have no idea. They don't even understand really what the season is about. That's going to be there as well. And there's also going to be a lot of people, if they know that you're a Christian, there's going to be a lot of people that are watching you, watching how you act, what you say, what you do, 
You know, they're going to be watching you. So I thought it might be kind of interesting if we could think about tonight a little bit about how, sh- how should we be acting at these meals? How can we be the hands and the feet of Jesus? <clears throat> and I thought to myself, you know, what better way to really think about this than to look at the life of Christ, right? He uh, lived on earth for 33 years. He obviously ate lots of meals. Bible says that he grew and became strong both spiritually and physically. So we know that, that he ate a lot of food when he was here, had a lot of meals with people. Some of those meals were, you know, very significant, right? Significant kind of like a Christmas meal to us. Uh, so I thought it might be fun tonight just to look at what I've picked out four meals that, that Christ had when he was here on earth. And I want us to take those four meals, look at them briefly, and try to learn from Christ in those, those different settings about how maybe we can act when we're sitting around a dinner table having a meal this Christmas, this holiday season, with friends and family. Does it sound all right? Everybody on board with that? All right, so I've picked four of them for us. The first one Uh, And I've got a handout on your table that you can kind of fill in some of these blanks. The first one is the feeding of the 5,000. It's uh, one miracle, if you will, one account that's included in all four of the Gospels. But I wanted us to look at it in in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. It's obviously a very well-known passage of Scripture by Christians and non-Christians alike. And the setting is really one where Jesus has been out preaching and teaching and healing people. And now it's come to the end of the day. And now they've got a bunch of people that are hungry there. There were 5,000 men plus their families. So it may have been 20,000 people there. Uh, and Jesus now we know performs this miracle with five loaves of bread and two fishes to feed everybody. One of the great miracles of the Bible. So let's take a look in uh, chapter 9 of Luke, starting there in verse 10. See what it says. It says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to find lodging and get provision. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them, sit all, had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So what is it that we can learn from or about Christ from this this passage and this miracle? What would you say is the first thing that comes to your mind? Provider. Provider. Okay, I love that. Anything else? I'm sorry? Compassion? Service? Servant? That's right. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, when I asked this of William, the first thing he said was power. Power. Supernatural power. The miracle, right? 
It's true. But you know what, what I really was, what I think of is the same thing that, that you said. And when I, when I read this, the first thing I think about is generosity and selflessness. Generosity and selflessness. I mean, because look at the disciples here. What were they like? They were like, send them away. You know, send them away. We don't have any food for them. This is too much trouble. We need some rest, maybe. I can tell you in my own life, sometimes I feel this way. I, you know, I work really hard in, in, in what I do. And my house has always been a place that was like a sanctuary for me. You know, maybe too much so. So sometimes I've probably pushed people away because I wanted to think about myself, just being honest, and maybe I could use a little rest. That kind of feels like the disciples here. You know, we've had a long day. <laughs> All right, send them away. You know, they can take care of themselves. But what does Jesus say right there in verse 13? He says, you give them something to eat. You take care of them. You know, stop thinking about yourself. Start thinking about others. Right? That's what Jesus was always doing, was thinking about others. Just the utmost generosity and selflessness. Completely unrelated to eating, but I was watching on TV the other day, probably the Hallmark Channel, and I saw an advertisement for the movie uh, Christmas Shoes. Have you ever seen that movie or listened to that song? And that's a heartbreaker of a movie and a heartbreaker of a song. But it just reminded me of generosity and selflessness. I'm, in fact, I brought that tonight. If I have time at the end, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a video of that song just because I feel like, you know, it gets you maybe into the selflessness, generosity spirit. But Jesus here is saying, listen, feed them. Stop thinking about yourself. You know, Christmas is a time of generosity, of thinking about others and not thinking about yourself, right? right? I mean, the birth of Christ, Jesus leaving heaven, wrapping himself in flesh to come be our Savior. Can you think of anything that's more selfless, more generous of, of what he gave for us? So this Christmas, maybe when you're going through and planning your meal, you know, maybe you could take the time to invite somebody to have a meal with you, a friend or a family, somebody maybe that you haven't seen in a while. You know, maybe somebody that you really may not even get along with and you, you maybe don't even want to see them. I mean, we all got friends and family, right, that, that maybe we just don't even want to be around. Maybe, maybe you think they don't want to be around you either, you know, but what greater time, what greater time than Christmas, right, to invite them, to bring them in. Or maybe even go outside of the box, way outside of the box, and, and bring someone in that you don't even know. Somebody that just needs maybe somebody to have a meal with. That needs to know the generosity of, of Christ. You know, I tell you, when I was um, in the military during basic training, I was at Lackland Air Force Base, and I was there during Christmas. And I will never forget that on Christmas Day, they had a program where families in the community would come and take home soldiers to have dinner, have a meal with them in their home. Bless me beyond belief. I'll never forget that family, how much they loved me that day and cared for me that day. Just an amazing feeling, right, to bless someone by bringing them into your home, expanding your family, you know, bringing someone to your table that needs, maybe just needs a, a meal, maybe needs to be around others at a, at a holiday time, of, a Christmas time, right? I promise you that it'll be a huge blessing to you and to them. And also, you know what it'll be? It'll be an amazing time of ministry. 
I mean, you just have no idea how impactful you can be in someone's life when you bring them into your home and you give them food. You let them sit at your table and dine with you. You have an amazing opportunity to be a blessing to them, to share with them, to minister to them. It's unbelievable. There'll never be another better time than to be the hands and feet of Christ to that person than then. All right? So generosity, selflessness, that's the first two things we can learn. What about, what about that, uh, that time when Jesus was eating? We're going to talk about it next. When, when the, the prostitute, it says the woman of the city, she crashes the party. You remember this one? The sinful woman forgiven. It's over in chapter 7 of Luke. So if you just turn a page or so back, starting in verse 36. See, Jesus was having dinner at a home of a Pharisee. And this woman of the city crashes the party. She comes in. Let's see what it says. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with anointment, of, with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. He said, a certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you, Jesus. So what can we learn from Jesus in this one? What, do you, what, what would you say first comes to your mind when you hear this story? This, forgiveness, compassion. Sorry? Compassion, yeah. Mercy and grace, yeah. Certainly the deity of, of Christ also, right? I mean, that was at the end when he says, who is this that forgives sin? I mean, I, I, I got the amens at the end, right? Because how many here are grateful that God forgives all sins? Because we've sinned a lot, right? Amen. Amen. We've sinned a lot. I know I'm one of those. It's very grateful that, that God forgives all sins. But yeah, I would agree with you. The two things that I would point to that we could learn from this is mercy and forgiveness. Mercy, mercy and forgiveness. I mean, 
doesn't this Pharisee guy, he kind of sounds like the guy or the, the woman that's at the, at the dinner, the friend or the family that's always talking down on someone, you know, always putting other people down, you know, kind of the gossiper, you know, the one that's, that's pointing fingers, looking down on that person because maybe the way they dress or the way they look or the way they act or the way they live their life or, you know, maybe what they believe in. Well, you get started talking about politics, I guarantee you, you'll go down a dangerous path of, of looking at this one, right? Just pointing fingers at people. Not much Christian in that, though, is there? You know, the sin of partiality, go, go, go read up on James chapter 2. It's, a, it's pretty ugly, the consequences of partiality. It's got one of those verses in it that says that judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. I'm going to tell you, that, that verse scares me. That's one I don't even like to think about. <laughs> Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. I mean, that sounds bad to me. Instead, I want to I be the person that lives out the Beatitudes. We talked about this past service, this past summer. It said, blessed are the merciful for what? They shall receive mercy. Christmas is a great time of mercy, isn't it? Christ, God in heaven, tried to, he extended us the greatest mercy of all. Sinful man, he sent his son to die for us. So show mercy, but also forgiveness. I mean, if you think about a holiday time, I mean, is there anything that tears families apart more than unforgiveness? Bitterness? I mean, I guarantee you, everybody in this room has a story of bitterness or unforgiveness for a friend or family or somebody that they're no longer close to or separated from, don't talk to anymore, because they've got unforgiveness. I mean, at a time when, when God sent us a Savior, okay, to show us mercy and forgiveness. Jared talked about tonight, is there, not, is there any better time than Christmas than to do the same? To show forgiveness, you know, whoever it is in your family, you know, bury the hatchet, get past it. I mean, it's, it's probably, you know, may or may not be hurting them, it might be, but I guarantee it's hurting you. Well, we know, right, that forgiveness eats us away. I saw a, a quote. I love this quote. I, I think I've said it in here before. It said that refusing to forgive someone is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. I mean, think about that. It's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's killing you. That's what it does. So this year, during the Christmas time at a meal, you know, think of it as a time of forgiveness, of mercy, you know, stay away from the poison this year. How about that? Let's stay away from the poison. Third one, what about that famous meal that Jesus had before his death? Call it the Lord's Supper, right? Where he was with his disciples. Talk about it in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. So we know this passage mainly, right, from Matthew is one of remembrance, Today, we, we talk and, and observe the Lord's Supper as, as one of the ordinances of the church because we want to remember, right? Christ, the bread, representative of his body broken. Uh, the juice, representative of his blood spilled for us, right? We, we think of it as remembrance, okay? It's about remembering what Christ, is, what, what Christ did for us and what that means in our life. But at this meal, okay, when they were having it at that time, it wasn't really of remembrance, right? It was a message of hope. It was a message of hope. Look at verses 26 through 29 in Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 26. There in 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Amazing hope, right? I mean, that's, that last verse is where all the hope is at. I'm not going to do this again until we do it together in heaven. I mean, is there any greater hope than that? I mean, that's what Jesus always was doing, right? Was spreading hope. I mean, I'll tell you, this is something that in my life, I literally think about every single day. Every single day I think about this. In your life, you have the choice. Every day you walk out, every morning you wake up, you have a choice. You're either going to spread hope or you're going to spread despair. You will. I'm just telling you, you're either going to go out into the world and you're going to spread despair by the way you live, the way you talk, the way you act, or you can spread hope. You can spread hope or you can spread despair. You know, and you know there's people, right? You, especially if the families get together, there's, there's going to be a lot of those people that are spreading despair. I mean, I, you know, it's it, one of my friends and, and business associates, he was telling me the other day about a family member, and they've now got together two or three times over the holidays so far. And he says every time that family member is there, he, he makes a beeline over to him, and he always wants to talk about something that's, that's really negative in his life. He knows it's not anything that he had any real control over. It was related to something that's been in the paper a lot. And it wasn't really directly related to him. But he knows that it just kind of pushes his buttons and kind of makes him feel bad and creates a little controversy. So he, he beelines over to him just to say, hey, let's talk about this. I, I saw it was in the paper again the other day. You know, just spreading despair. We all know people like that, don't we? I mean, we probably have them in our family that just, just wants to, to kind of talk about the, the negative, just the bad things in your life. Maybe where you've made the mistakes and where, you know, you could have done things different. Instead of spreading hope. You know, I saw this morning, Erin in her Advent devotional was talking about hope. And the only real hope is the hope in Christ, right? But boy, there is no better time again than the Christmas time than to spread the hope of Christ. Show His love. Be His hands and His feet. We get to make that choice every day. And this holiday season, this Christmas season, we should choose to spread hope, not despair. Don't you agree? And now what about the last one? Maybe the most important one. Okay, where Jesus has dinner with the sinners. Now, this one, if you recall, is after Jesus had... Uh, called Matthew to be one of his disciples. The Bible says that he went over and then had dinner with Matthew and with other tax collectors and other sinners. You can look over in Mark chapter 2, just a couple of pages over. In verse 13 there, let's take a look at what it says. It says that he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. This is Matthew. And as he reclined at table in house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For they were many who followed him. 
And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. He says, the tax collectors, they, I mean, the Pharisees, they couldn't understand this, right? They just had no idea why, why Jesus was doing what he was doing. Like we, we just don't understand. But what did Jesus say? Listen, I didn't come for those of you who are too self-righteous to think you need me, right? I came for those who need me. I came for the sinners. Okay, this is a call to discipleship, to evangelism, to, to share the gospel, Right? Is there anything more important that we could do around these dinner tables than to share the gospel? But it's, it's sometimes it's hard, right? Especially when you're talking about family and friends. I mean, it's actually sometimes I think even harder. Sometimes it's easier to share with a stranger than it is to share with family and with friends. Am I the only one that feels that way? It's kind of hard, isn't it? I don't know if it's just the history, if it's just, you know, if you feel too vulnerable. I don't know what it is, but, but if you think about it, you know, really nothing more important for our family and friends really than to make sure that they know Christ, right? I saw a pretty cool um, story uh, a couple of weeks ago that was talking about at a Christmas time, and in particular at a Christmas dinner, and having discussion with your family and friends, and how you should go about trying to convert them, okay, or convince them to believe as you believe, okay, to believe something that, that you have that's your particular view. And the whole thing was talking about how to do this, you know, in a civilized manner, right? So no fist fights outside. I mean, I know some family dinners can turn to fist fights. At least they did when I was a kid. And uh, no convincing like, like Grace and William sometimes convince when I see, you know, William beating up on Grace over there, all right? So not, not that kind of convincing that I'm talking about. This was civilized, and the particular view that the article was addressing that they were trying to convert people to their way of thinking was on climate change. Basically trying, and they just picked this topic, but it was to basically convince them that climate change was real. And the article recommended three things to help you in converting this non-believer. Said first, you should make it personal. Good advice. Second, you should appeal to their humanity. And third, you should employ some cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> this is what he said. He says, to convince the non-believers of climate change, the author says, show how the path the world is on now not only costs people money, but pain, suffering, and ultimately human lives. The argument, he says, would then demonstrate that the cost of ignoring the issue outweigh the benefits, the short-term pleasure. Hopefully initiating a change of heart. I mean, this is pretty good stuff, right? You know, for, for sharing the gospel. I mean, I think the very first thing, right, uh, is that we should make it personal. You know, you should never forget that you should start by letting people know what Christ has done for you, how he's changed your life. So make it personal. I can agree with that. All right. The, the next one, uh, you know, where he says that appeal to their humanity. I mean, you could think of this one as, you know, convincing somebody they're going to die. Right? Shouldn't be too hard, right? I mean, if they don't believe they're going to die, then probably have different issues, may need some specialized help. But I hope that you can convince 
them that eventually they are going to die. It's going to happen to all of us. And then this cost-benefit analysis, right? I mean, you know, you got to make them understand that, that there's, that, you know, there, you get something for what you do today, right? That, that hell is a horrible answer to your behavior today. The cost-benefit. So you want the benefit of living for yourself today? You want the benefit of doing what you want to do? Well, there's a cost on the other side. There's a big cost. It's called hell. It's eternity, eternal separation from God. My good friend Jim Dennison, he said this week in a, in a blog that he wrote, kind of talking about this, he said, while marketers give the people what they want this Christmas, the short term, he says, Christians are called to give them what they need, Jesus. He says, otherwise, when they step from time into eternity, they will discover that they traded temporary popularity for eternal separation from God. I mean, that's really what you're trying to show them, isn't it? I mean, like the article says, we've got to convince them in a civilized manner that there is a cost of ignoring Jesus that far outweighs the short-term pleasure of what you're doing today. I mean, there's a good lesson in that. Make it personal. Appeal to humanity. Show them this cost-benefit analysis. Uh, Francis Chan, I've done this in here before. I'm going to do it again tonight. Francis Chan does a great illustration on this where he uses a rope to demonstrate this. I don't know how many, probably some of you have seen it in here because I've done it before. But I brought my rope. And it's a great illustration, a great visual for exactly really what even this article is trying to get across. So you see this rope. It's a long rope, right? So think of this rope as really going on forever. I mean, it stops right there, but... Just think of it as going forever, okay? So this rope goes forever. And then this, this, this forever rope, all right, think of it as just, you know, your existence. This is your existence, all right? And this, this little part right here, this, this, this where red becomes white, okay, that's that point. That's that point where you step into eternity, all right? So this is the eternity part. And if this is the eternity part, what does it make this part? Yeah, this red part, that's your life. That's your life here on earth. You know, and, and Francis, when he talks about this, he says, you know, listen, it's so silly. We spend so much focused on this. In fact, you know, really the American dream is retirement, right? So really what we do is we spend all of this time really working for I mean, that little spot right there, that little bitty area of this red, and that's what we're all working for, right? Forgetting that, that what we do here, I mean, has all this. This, is, this goes on forever. This goes on forever. So Francis says, he says, people tell me all the time, he's like, Francis, you're so stupid. You, you make all these decisions, and it's, it so badly impacts your life here. He's like, no, no, you're stupid. You're making all these decisions and it affects all of this. Okay, because what we do here matters, right? This is the, the cost-benefit analysis. See, it's kind of what Jared was talking a little bit about tonight. You know, you, you, what you do with your money and your time and, and, and your life here, okay? It impacts all of this. 
And all of this, and it's such a great visual. You should get you one of these dinner time during the holidays. You take this out; it'd be a great visual. It's it. You get the rope. Nobody, everybody, will be completely confused as what you're doing. Get a little spray paint, but it's a great visual. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trip myself. It's a great visual, right? Not only for that person that you're sharing the gospel with, trying to get it across to them, but it's also a great visual for us too, right? Christians that are doing the sharing. Because it's a good reminder that we too need to be focused on, on how we spend this and how it impacts this. Right. How it impacts eternity. Right. Because the way we live, what we do, how we act, when we dine this, this Christmas season, okay, that right here will have impact on all of this. Not only for us, but for those that we're with. Right? What we do here impacts not only our life, but all of those that are around us for all of this. For all of this eternity. Right? So that's why I say don't miss a meal. Don't miss a meal this holiday season. Don't miss the opportunity that a meal gives you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Okay? This holiday season, this Christmas season, okay, let's take this time when we're with family and friends, enjoying the food and the time of the year. Okay, let's, let's use that time to be generous and selfless, to extend mercy, forgiveness, right? To spread hope, but most of all, to be ready to share the gospel, calling people to Christ, right? Maybe, maybe initiating that change of heart that that article talks about and then let God do the rest. Amen? Amen. All right, I promise though, I am going to, I got time, I got time. I'm going to show this. This, this video uh, of Christmas shoes, all right? And the reason I'm doing it is it does tie in a little bit, right? I mean, you got one visual that I've given you here of a rope. There you go. But now you'll have another one, right? I'm talking about being the hands and feet of Jesus. All right, these shoes will remind you to be the hands and feet of Jesus.
That's the tearjerker. I love, um, it's, I looked it up on several different versions, been seen over, I counted them up almost 20 million times. People have watched that video. And I love that line in there that says that God sent that little boy to remind me of what Christmas is all about. Man. It's a good reminder, right? Be the hands and feet of Jesus, whether you're standing in line at a checkout in the mall or at your office or wherever you might be or dining at a table with family and friends. All right, this season, let's be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, just thank you for this time. God, I'm so grateful for this class, for each person here, Lord. I just want to pray for them now, God. I pray that Lord, during this Christmas season, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just bless them, bless their family. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just give them great peace and joy and protection. Lord, I pray that you would just let them know your love this Christmas season, Lord. I pray, God, you'd give them provision 
I pray, Lord, that you would bless them in a way, Lord, God, that they could never expect. Lord, I pray that their gift that you would give them this year, Lord, is just your love, Lord, your mercy, your grace. Lord, I just thank you that we, we get an opportunity every year to celebrate our Savior, Lord, and that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to come, Lord, and just endure the pain of this world, Lord, so that we could know you, so that we could be certain that we're going to spend eternity with you. So, Lord, I pray, God, as we go out this year, Lord, and we're with others, maybe sharing a meal, wherever that might be, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just allow us to be your hands and your feet, bringing as many as we can to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.